everybody. How are we doing? Wonderful. It is so awesome to be here. Robin, thank you for all that sweet, those sweet things that you said. I um, came in and spoke at the, the conference this weekend, which was so awesome. How many of y'all were at the NOW conference? Wow. Okay. Lots of millennials in this room. Well, it was a really awesome conference, and um, <clears throat> I just felt super honored to be here. I feel so privileged to be speaking at this church. Robin has been somebody that has impacted my life so, so, so much in such a deep way. I was telling one of my friends today, I'm like, Robin really is like the person that I look back at that I'm like, man, she really taught me a lot about who I was and taught me about like the authority that I had access to and what I could walk in. And like so much of what I walk in now, I feel like I look back, Robin, and it's like really because I saw it demonstrated in your life first. And like how many of you know you become what you hang around? And it's like Robin became my best friend in school. I'm like, I know we're not in the same age group, but you're my best friend. <laughs> so people are like, what's happening here? I'm like, she's my best friend, my mama. She's lots of things. But it's like I just am so privileged to be here and be a part of this church just because I feel like the Werner family has poured so, so, so much into my life and believed in me before I believed in myself. And so I just feel honored to be speaking to you all today. Um, I have such a big heart to see the body of Christ, be the body of Christ. And for us to like fully tap into everything that we have access to, to fully tap into everything that Jesus paid for. And I believe like I, I was raised in a Christian family, loved Jesus my whole life. But I think as I, as I got older, I started realizing like, man, there's so much that Jesus paid for. There's so much that Jesus gave us access to that a lot of the church we don't tap into. We kind of stop at like, oh, it's cool. He died for my sins period. And Jesus did so much more. And my heart is really that as believers that we would step into the fullness of what Jesus has for us, that we would step out of a place of complacency and we'd step into a place of full authority as sons and daughters in Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to talk a lot. Jesus, I just thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for this awesome group of people. Lord, I thank you for a hungry group of people, Lord, that you say that you want to fill us up. God, that you want to give us everything that you paid for. Lord, and so I just thank you that tonight that you're going to reawaken things inside of people, that you're going to shake things inside of people, Lord, and that you'll just make us more and more and more hungry of the depths of who you are, Lord. Would you just teach us tonight what we have access to, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like in my own life, the last few months, the Lord started talking to me and just said, Britt, I'm doing a new thing in your life. And I was like, okay, what does that mean exactly? And in the last few months, I've seen a lot of things shift in my life. Like the Lord has moved me across the country. I started a new job, got a new house. Like a lot of just things in my physical world started changing. But then the Lord started telling me, but I'm shifting things in the spiritual realm as well. And as I started praying into that word, I felt like the Lord said, I'm not just doing that in your life, but I'm doing that for the body of Christ. And I and it starts waking us up to the, what we have. Just like there's going to be this like shaking and this awakening where the Lord starts waking us up to the, what we have access to, to the fullness of what we have access to. And so I am going to tell you a little bit about my story so you know a little bit about who I am. But I am the oldest of seven kids. I think we have a picture of my family up there somewhere. <laughs> I had to show them because they're very cute. But I'm the oldest of the seven kids. Most of us still live in Arizona. I was raised in Arizona, um, moved to California, and currently living in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but my family's awesome. And my parents, one thing that they, that they really taught us was how to love Jesus. I remember my mom is like one of the most steadfast people and just loved the Lord and really sought after the Lord with everything that she had. And my mom, my dad's a chiropractor, and which is awesome to have a chiropractor in the family. It's like the best thing ever. Um, my dad's a chiropractor. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, homeschooled all seven of us. And um, my mom would wake all of us kids up at like 5, 6 a.m. in the morning, and she'd be like, guys, get up. It's time to seek Jesus because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will follow. And so she taught us how to pursue Jesus even in like the really early hours of the morning. And I grew up knowing about Jesus, but I felt like it was such a head knowledge. It's like I had such a head knowledge of who Jesus was. <laughs> I had such a head knowledge of who Jesus was. And... Um, 
But I would read these scriptures. When I got into high school, I started reading these scriptures about all of the miracles that Jesus did. And I would read these stories of Jesus laying hands on the sick, and they would be healed. And there were, there were paralyzed men that were getting out of, out of their, their paralyzed state, and they were walking. And there were blind men getting their sight back, and there were deaf men getting their hearing back. And there were tormented spirits, spirits coming out of people. And I started reading these scriptures and being like, this is so crazy that this all happened in the Bible. And Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we never see this ever in the church. And it's like, I'm 18, 19 years old at this time going like, I've never one time see one Christian like pray for anything and see a miracle happen. And it started stirring this like hunger in me of like, why is that? Like, why do we not see miracles inside of the church? Why are we not seeing these things today? And that question led me to this verse in John that I'm going to share with you. And it is in John 14, 9 through 14. Um, It says, Jesus said, Philip, I have been with you all of this time. How do you not know who I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Even my words are not my own, but they come from my Father, and he lives in me, and he performs his miracle-working power through me. For I tell you this timeless truth, that the person who believes in me in faith will do the same mighty miracles that I do, and even greater things will you do, because I went to be with my Father. For I will do whatever you ask of me in my name, that the Son can give his Father glory. Ask me of anything, and I will do it. And I remember reading that verse and going, okay, so not only do I get to like heal the paralyzed man and the blind man sees and the deaf man hears, but God said I'll do greater things than he did. So what does that even mean to go after the greater things of God? Like what are the greater things? And then I loved like in the end where God says, ask me of anything and I'll do it for you. And it's like, I just remember reading that and it's stirring this thing in me of like, okay, well I have to know how this happens. Like how does this happen? And so I felt like the Lord told me, Brett, I want to take you on a journey and I want to give you the keys to authority. You want authority? I'll give you authority, but let me teach you how you get there. And so the Lord took me on this long journey where he moved me to Redding, California, and he taught me that authority can only come out of a place of intimacy with the Father. That the only way that we can walk in the fullness that Jesus has, that has, he's given us access to is by coming in close and having intimacy with Jesus. And I was like, okay, God, well, what does that, what does that mean? And I remember one night I I went to Bethel School of Ministry, which is where I met Robin. And I remember one night I was sitting on my couch and I was like, God, I just really want to know. I was just so hungry to know how this happens. I just said, God, just speak to me and just show me how this happens and what I need to do. And the Lord gave me this dream. And I remember he woke me up in the middle of the night and I had had this vision in the night of this baby that was laying skin on skin to skin with its mother on it on her chest. And I woke up and the Lord said, Britt, all you have to do is come close to me. And it was so significant to me because as Robin mentioned, I'm a labor and delivery nurse by trade. And I've been doing that for seven years now. And I love it. It's the most awesome job in all the world. I literally get to bring new life into the world and get paid for it. It's like crazy. I'm like, I get paid to watch miracles happen every single day. This is so crazy. But it was so significant to me, that vision, because in the hospital when we deliver a baby, if a mom delivers a baby and the baby's unstable, maybe the heart rate's not normal or the baby's breathing really rapid or its temperature's too low or it's too high, we'll immediately put the baby skin to skin on the mom's chest. And what that does is baby begins to regulate its system with its mom's system. And so the baby's heart rate will begin to regulate with mom's heart rate and its respiratory rate begins to regulate with mom's respiratory rate and its temperature comes in sync with mom's temperature. And I remember a couple weeks after that vision had happened, we had a baby that was really unstable and I'm in the delivery room and everything's going crazy. And my first thought is like, okay, mom, I need you to open your gown. I got to put your baby on your chest. And I laid the baby there and immediately baby's respiratory rate started coming down. Her little heart rate started to regulate. It's temperature literally identically matches the mother's temperature. It's the craziest thing. You're like, you literally have the same temperature as your mother. And, but what the Lord started speaking to me was like, Britt, look at this baby. It absolutely did nothing at all other than lay on its mom's chest. And 
in laying on its mom's chest, it literally got a pull from mom's energy. It got a pull from mom's strength and it got to come in sync with exactly what the mom was doing. And the Lord began to speak to me and he said, Britt, when you come in close to me, all of a sudden you get to hear the rhythm of my heart. You get to know the sound of what my heart beats for and what it likes and what it doesn't like. You begin to think what I think about people. You get to hear what I hear about people. You get to say what I would say to people. And he's like, it's all from this place that your authority can come into play is when you just come close to me. And I think sometimes we so overcomplicate these things. It's like we think like, okay, I got to do this, this, this. I got to pray a really holy prayer. And it's like, that's just pray as hard as I can, make sure I've been fasting and, you know, reading my Bible all the time. And it's like, that's just not the God that we serve. Like, he's such a good father that just wants us to be his kids, and he wants to give us access to everything that he has access to, which is just so awesome. And so the Lord began to take me, continue this journey of intimacy, and I began to read stories of people in the Bible who had intimacy with the Lord. And I thought, like, you know, how many of us, like, feel like we have these massive calls on our lives, and you're like, God, I know I'm called to do great things, and, like, here I'm sitting in a ministry school, like, learning and trying to figure out why I'm here. And the Lord began to talk to me about the story of David, and I see myself so much in David's story because I think from a very young age, David knew that he had greatness on his life, and he knew he was called to go great places and he was called to do big things but yet in the middle of his life like at the point where you would have thought he would have been promoted he finds himself in the middle of a field with a bunch of sheep and a harp and he just gets to sit there and play worship to the Lord and I think oftentimes before the Lord will promote us into into like a season of authority he'll pull us back into a season of intimacy with him and he'll have us sit at his feet and just begin to understand his nature and just begin to study who he is and like how he thinks how how he, how he processes life. And I think understanding what intimacy is such, is such a vital thing because I think we live in a culture, actually I know that we live in a culture that doesn't understand what real intimacy is. And as I was preparing for this message, I was like, I am really curious what people think intimacy is. And so I started asking just some of my friends, some of my coworkers, I was like, what's the definition of intimacy? What's the definition of intimacy? And I was, it was interesting to me because almost every single person, their answer had some type of like sexual connotation to it. And I thought, well, that's really interesting that that's our, that's the people's first response to that, that word. And I'm like, it's really bad that that's our first thought because I think as a culture, we so have lost the sacredness of that in itself. And so it's like, when, when you think about intimacy, if I'm thinking about it through that lens, it's like all of a sudden, it's like intimacy is in our culture today is like one night stands are fine. You know, hooking up with, with random strangers is fine. It's nothing that takes time to develop. It just happens whenever you want it to and it's a casual thing. And the Lord began to speak to me and say, Britt, intimacy is something that is developed over time. True intimacy is something that takes time. It takes building history. It takes building consistency. It's like a routine thing that I'm consistent, that I'm being faithful in these things, that I continue to come back. It, it like, true intimacy is built in a place of, like, trusting each other and, like, knowing each other's thoughts and, like, you know, like, being in sync with each other. And the Lord said, Britt, in true intimacy, you can only say yes to one thing. If you look at the true definition of intimacy, I only get to pick one thing. I don't get to have 12 options. I get to choose one thing. And in choosing that one thing, all of my compromise falls away. All of my complacency falls away. All of my other options fall away because it's like, this is the only option. Like this is my only, this is my only thing. And so I think it is so vital that we understand that definition because it's insane yes to that one thing that we can say no to everything else. You know, it's like our yes is a really powerful, powerful thing. And, um, you know, I, I started learning as, as the Lord would pull me closer and closer to him that like in a place of intimacy, we get to know the voice of the Lord. And like, not only does he tell us who we are and he speaks identity over us, but he gets to, then he tells us like, Hey, this is my nature. This is what I want you to walk in. Hey, this is the authority that you carry. This is what I want you to walk in. And so we learn all kinds of different things in intimacy with God. Like we, we get to learn so many different things. And, um, I 
believe so much that God's desire for his kids is that the world would see him inside of us, that we would walk into rooms and people, people would be like, there's something on that person. There's something on that guy. There's something on that girl that we could walk into secular arenas, not having to say anything at all. And people would just see a difference in us. And that all comes out of intimacy with Jesus, because how many of you know that you become what you hang around? You know, it's like if I'm hanging out with Jesus all the time and I'm beholding Jesus and I'm looking at all of these miracles that he did, it's like, that's my norm. That's just the way that I function because that's what I'm fixing my gaze on all the time. That's what I'm feeding my mind. That's what I'm feeding my spirit versus if I'm hanging out in the secular realm and that's what I'm feeding my mind with and I'm hanging out with the wrong crowd, it's like I begin looking like the wrong crowd. And the Lord told me like, Britt, some, some people, like they, they hang out with fools and they're like, why do I not look like my father? And it's like, well, because you're surrounding yourselves with a lot of things that we should not be surrounding ourselves with. And so it's like we have to come back to the main thing, which is is having intimacy with the Lord. In this place, like, I, as I started learning the, the sound of the Lord's voice, I felt like the Lord was like, Britt, I want you to just step out. I heard the Lord say to me one day, he's like, Britt, I want to teach you to hear my voice in insignificant things so that when I speak to you in the significant, you know what I sound like and you're willing to risk everything for it. And it's like, I want to say that over you guys of like, God wants to teach you to hear his voice in really, really insignificant things that feel silly. And honestly, when God started teaching me to hear his voice, it was like the most ridiculous things. Like I would literally wake up and the Lord be like, don't wear the white shirt, wear the red shirt. And I'd be like, that, this is not God. But I would practice because I'm like, I'm trying to practice hearing his voice. So I'd be like, okay, well, I'll change and put the red shirt on. And I'd put the red shirt on and somebody would come up to me at the grocery store and be like, hey, this is so crazy. God told me I was supposed to meet a blonde haired girl with a red shirt on and I have to give you this thing. And it'd be like something that I'd been praying for. And so it's like in practicing, it's like we have to practice. It's the same with anything at all in life. You have to practice it to get good at it. And so number one, how to hear his voice in insignificant things. And I remember one, one time I was going on a mission trip to Costa Rica and I needed $300 left to fund my trip. And I was working as a nurse at the time, but I was only working like a part-time position so I could be in ministry school. And I remember thinking, I can't like send out sponsor letters because I have a real job and like people are going to be like, why is the nurse asking me to sponsor her? <laughs> so I was like, I really should not do that. I can't do that. So, and I was just too prideful to do it. So I was like, I'm just going to put it on my credit card. Like God made credit cards for me to put my mission trips on. So I, <laughs> in Jesus name, amen. <laughs> so I put, I tell the Lord, that's what I'm going to do. This is a great idea. $300 on the credit card, not a big deal. Dave Ramsey will not care. I will have it paid off in no time. So that's my decision. <laughs> so that was my decision. So literally clear as day, I hear the Lord say to me, no, 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 that's not what you're going to do. You're going to ask me to provide for you in a crazy, miraculous way, and I'm going to show up in a creative miracle. And I was like, Okay. But I'm like learning to hear his voice. So I thought, well, I'm just going to practice. So I said, okay, God, well, if you want to send me $300, then that's wonderful. So I start marching through my neighborhood and I'm like, in Jesus name, I declare that God's going to send me $300. Thank you, God, that you are a good father who wants to provide for his kids. You give above and beyond anything I could ask, think, or imagine which I have a very big imagination, but I could not imagine what was about to happen. <laughs> so I tell the Lord, so I tell the Lord this, and I'm, I'm declaring and declaring, and as I'm walking, I see literally as soon as I finish declaring, there's like this dollar bill that like floats out of the sky. And I was like, like head flip at it. And I'm like, what the heck? So I go running down the hill at this thing that I think is a $10 bill. And I like squat down to pick it up. And as I get down real low to it, I realize, oh my gosh, this is not a $10 bill. This is a $100 bill. And the first thing out of my mouth, which would have been the first thing out of your mouth, if it wasn't like silence, it was like, oh my gosh, Jesus, do that again. Just do that again. And so literally no later had I said, do it again. Another one falls and literally hits me in my chest. And I look down and there's another $100 bill on my chest. And I'm like, oh my gosh, $200 just fell out of the sky. This is stuff that you hear about that you're like, that does not happen. People make this stuff up. And honestly, had this not happened to me, I probably would have been a skeptic also. But I was like, oh my gosh. So I called my mom and I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, I asked the Lord to send me $300 and $200 literally just fell out of the sky. Like, is this even a real thing? And she, and it didn't literally fall out of the sky, it like blew at the wind, you know? But anyway, 
I, my mom says, if God said he's going to give you 300, he's a God who does what he says. He's going to give you 300. Don't move. So I said, okay. So I'm standing there. And I said, God, if you're going to give me 300, show me where the third hundred is. And I literally looked down to, the, to my right-hand side, and there's another $100 bill laying on the ground, like right next to me. You're like, is this real? So, of course, I do like a happy dance around the neighborhood, and I'm like, there has to be like a neighbor here maybe that like came home from the bank because they were like freshly printed bills. And I'm like, surely somebody came home. So I'm not joking. I literally lapped the entire neighborhood, and I'm like, okay, there has to be somebody. There has to be somebody. And literally nobody is home. It literally came from Jesus to me. And so that happened, and then a couple weeks, a couple months down the road, I am driving in my, my car, and I hear, like, this intense grinding in the brakes, and I'm like, that does not sound good. It's, like, just total grinding, and I'm like, I need to go get this investigated, so I take my car to Ford, and... Um, the guy calls me and he's like, hey, we're going to give you a rental car. This is really expensive. We think all your brakes are, are really bad. And so I'm like, this is so bad. Like, I only have a part-time job. I cannot pay for brakes in my vehicle. And so anyway, I'm driving down the road and I'm so stressed out about this. And I hear the Lord say to me, Britt, why don't you just ask me for what you want? Why don't you just declare what is not as though it was? And so I was like, okay. And again, I'm learning to hear his voice. I'm like, I don't know if I'm making this up or if this is the Lord. I'm not sure, but I'm going to do it. And so I just said, God, I just declare that the the brakes are going to be covered under insurance and that they're going to cover my rental car and that you're just going to provide because you're a good father that just wants to take care of his kids. And And literally within 15, 20 minutes, the manager calls me and he's like, hey, this is the craziest thing. We found out that you have this extended warranty policy and your brakes are actually covered and your rental car is actually going to be covered. So don't worry about anything. We're going to replace the entire brake system because this is a factory default or something. And he's like, so we're going to cover everything. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so crazy. Like, I literally just asked God for this and it happened. Well, a couple days later, I'm on my way to return the rental car and rear-end somebody. Well, he, he rear-ends me, and it dents in the whole entire side of my car. Not, not the whole entire side, but it dents in this huge chunk of my car. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so terrible. This is so much worse than having to pay for a brake system in your car. And so this is what happens, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, like, go to Robin's house, and I'm like, Robin, come outside and pray over my car with me. We have to pray that this dent comes out. And Robin's like, uh, sister. I think that's a little crazy. Jesus heals. We don't need to be asking for dents to be popped out. I'm like, no, no, no. If Jesus heals, he can heal my car too. So every day I'd walk by and be like, be healed in Jesus' name. Come out in Jesus' name. And literally nothing's happening for like two days. And I'm like, I literally feel like a crazy person, but I'm like, I'm practicing my authority and you have to practice your authority. So I'm like, Jesus, pop the den out of my car. So nothing happens. The last day I have the rental car, I hear the Lord say to me, don't put your hand where you've been putting it. Go put it somewhere else. So I walk around. I put my hand on the other side of the car. And I just said, you come out in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm like bossing my car around. And I am not joking you. The, I think there's another picture here. But the dent literally pops out. There were scratches all over it. The scratches come out of the car. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? This is so crazy. But you know what I started learning is God told me in the beginning of all of this, I'm going to teach you to hear my voice in insignificant things so that you know what I sound like in the significant. And I think sometimes God will just do silly, goofy, ridiculous things like pop a dent out of your car because he wants you to grow in faith and he wants you to grow in the courage to be like, man, when God asked me to pray for the paralyzed guy that I'm like, God's going to do something because if he showed up in my car, he's going to show up for the man that can't move his body. And so it's like, God wants to do that in our lives. And it's like, I think sometimes I've just learned, like you think about like an earthly parent, if they give you a gift and you're just like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's like, they're just not as excited to give you the gift again. Whereas like, if they give it to you and you're like, oh my gosh, did you you see the the car dent? It's like God loves when we just get excited when he shows up. You know, it's like we got to get excited. We have to be expectant for the things that God wants to do in, in our lives because I just think that the Lord wants to do so many things. And the Lord just started teaching me in all of that. I don't, I tell all those stories because I'm like, I don't think that the Lord really did it because I needed the $300 or because I needed the dent popped out of my car. But it was like God did those things to teach me. For me, I walked away with like, 
wow, the nature of God is that when he, when his kids say something, that he partners with us. And it's like the Lord told me one time, he said, Britt, I could have handcrafted everything in all creation. Like he could have like built a tree with his hands and built the rock with his hands, built the person with his hands, but he spoke and things happened. And the Lord said, because you carry my DNA and because I live inside of you, when you speak, you're going to create worlds and things are going to happen. And when you speak, I'm going to send all of heaven to back what you've said. And I'm going to make sure that God God's word doesn't return void because how many of you know there's a scripture that says my words will not return voided, but they will accomplish what they were sent forth to do. And so it's like when he's training us as these little babies, he's going to train us in the silly little things of like, okay, God, I'm going to partner with this silly little thing that you asked me. And so the more that I started, the more that I started, um, like having things like this happen and they would happen to me all the time. And I was like, this is so crazy. My friends would be like, why is this happening to you? I'm like, I think because I'm foolish when they happen, I'm like freaking out and telling the entire world that these things are happening to me. But I remember one time, um, I went on a mission trip to Nicaragua and I do a lot of overseas mission stuff in Nicaragua. Robin kind of touched on it, but the Lord has like just done a really crazy thing in Nicaragua. I've been a part of like reconstructing a village there and like the Lord put on my heart to build homes for this entire village of people and was so overwhelmed by like what God was asking me to do. But I again had learned to hear his voice in the insignificant and I knew like, man, if God calls me to something, he's not going to leave me hanging at the end of it. Like he's not going to ask me to start something and then not finish it. And so Anyway, over the past couple of years, the Lord has like used me to just do a lot of really awesome things down there and build medical clinics and build pharmacies and mission hubs and homes for hundreds and hundreds of families. And so it's just like been so, so, so cool. And so Nicaragua has such a like really important place in my, in my heart. It feels like my home away from home. But I was on my way to this mission trip in Nicaragua and I had this dream right before I left. And in my dream, and I don't dream a ton, but when I dream, I just assume that it's the Lord because I'm like, I don't ever dream, so this has to be God. But I had this dream about this man in a wheelchair, and he was coming down this, like, old back road, this d- real dirt road, and his wheels were, like, shaking on his wheelchair, and they were, like, about to fall off his wheelchair. It looked like a really old wheelchair. And he was paralyzed from the neck down in my dream. I knew he was paralyzed from the neck down. And I woke up and the Lord said, when you get to Nicaragua, you're going to see that man. And I want you to lay hands on him and I'm going to do a miracle in his body. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, I can pray for the car because that doesn't require a lot of risk. Like if, it, if the God doesn't pop the dent out of the car, it's kind of whatever. If you're on a mission trip and you're like telling this paralyzed man, like, hey, I believe God wants to heal you. It's kind of terrifying. And I was on a not, I was on a medical trip. So it's like none of the people on my trip were Christian. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I already look like a Jesus freak just when I pray. And then if I'm like laying hands on people and expecting Jesus to show up in these mighty miracles, I'm going to look so crazy. And so I was like, God, are you sure you want to, like, are we sure about this? And I just felt like the Lord was like, yes, I'm going to do it. So I get to Nicaragua, we do like our seven days of clinics. And on the eighth day, we're getting ready to shut down all of our clinics because it's downpouring. It's like this crazy rain out of nowhere. And our leader was like, we're going to shut down clinics. We're going to close early. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. Like, I really felt like this dream was from God, but obviously it wasn't. I didn't see this man. Well, as we're walking out the door, in comes the man in the wheelchair that I saw, and he's paralyzed from the neck down. And I just remember like getting this pit in your stomach, like when you know, like, oh my gosh, that's what. God showed me. And I, I, there was one guy on my trip that I don't even know where he came from. He came from Florida, I think. And he had grabbed me at one of the sessions and he, or at one of the stations. And he was like, did you know that Jesus still heals people? Have you ever heard this? Somebody just told me yesterday, I was reading this book and they said that sometimes God heals people. And I'm thinking, I actually have heard these rumors. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And he's like, that is so crazy. I would love to see a miracle. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we should see a miracle sometime. That'd be really cool. And so here we are. And I'm like, nobody else on this team knows anything about Jesus. They have no idea what I'm about to, like, go do. And I think about this man. And I'm like, okay, well, he wants to see a miracle. I guess I'll show. We'll see if God will do a miracle. So I grab him. And I'm like, let's go pray for this guy in the wheelchair. So I grab his hand. And we walk up. And we go to this man. And I just said, can I pray over you? 
And he was like, yeah. And I said, the Lord gave me this dream about you a week ago, and I feel like God wants to touch you. And he was like, yeah, you can pray for me. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, God, I need you to show up like yesterday because if something doesn't happen, I'm literally going to look so foolish. This is going to be so crazy. This is so radical. This is so scary. And I was just so scared of how I was going to come across. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get his hopes up and then something not happen. Like, maybe it's better to just bless him and not, you know, go after healing. But I knew the word of the Lord and I knew the word of the Lord in the significant things because I had heard him in the insignificant. And so I remember putting my hand on this man and I, I could not even start praying before I just started bawling. I felt the presence of the Lord so strong and I just kept crying and crying and crying. And all I could say was like, God, you said you were going to heal him. So just heal him. You said you were going to heal him. So just heal him. And like, I couldn't even get any other words out. And this other man's like standing there like, you know, like just watching, like what's going to happen. And I just, and it's like, I have nothing profound to say. Like, how do you pray for a man that has a terminal thing or that has a, you know, like this, this thing that cannot be reversed? Like, how do you pray for someone like that? And so I just remember just being like, God, just do what you said. Just do what you said. And all of a sudden this man, he just starts weeping and his hands start shaking. And all of a sudden he starts moving his little fingers. And, you know, at my church back in Reading, they would talk a lot, Bill would talk a lot about like, you know, in the Bible, they would see the, the cloud the size of a man's fist, and they would be like, God's showing up. Like, God's going to do something. And it's like when we see little tiny signs that God's in the room, we can just be like, God, you're here. Like, I feel that you're here. And because I could feel his presence, it was like I knew he was there with me. And so I just remember saying, God, you're here. You're here. Okay, he's moving his fingers. Like, he's moving his fingers. We have a long way to go. But I'm like, he's moving his fingers. And I just said, God, just keep doing whatever you're doing. Keep doing whatever you're doing. And all of a sudden, the man starts moving his hand up. He starts moving his hand up. He starts worshiping with both of his hands up. And I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, this man, after 15 years who can't move anything at all from his neck down, is all of a sudden moving things in his body. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he looks at us and he, in Spanish, says, go get my wife, go get my wife. So we like send somebody to go run and get his wife. And the wife comes back and she just has tears streaming down her face. And she's just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And literally my prayer went from just do it, Jesus, to like, thank you, Jesus thank you, Jesus, you're here. I feel you. You're here. You're doing something. Just keep doing what you're doing. And you know, how many of you know that like God doesn't need us to go heal. He just needs us to be the gloves that he puts his hands in so he can touch them. He just needs us to be the feet that will walk into a room. It's like, we don't have to do anything. And so the Lord, so anyway, this man, it's like all of a sudden his legs start shaking, his whole body starts shaking. And I'm like, yes, God, you're here. You're coming faster. Keep doing more things. <laughs> and so he, so he, his legs start shaking and all of a sudden he looks to the translator and he goes, I need to get up. I need to get up. And I'm like, he needs to get up. I'm like, okay, he needs to get up. We need men to help him get up. So the guys like help him get out of the wheelchair and the man stands up out of the wheelchair after 15 years of being stuck in a wheelchair and he takes his first steps and starts walking. Are you kidding? And how many of you know when Jesus shows up like that, you're kind of like, <laughs> it's different than the money story where you're like, do it again. You're kind of like, It's the craziest thing to be used by like God, by God in a way that is literally impossible. And coming from somebody that's very medically minded, it's like I think very medicine all the time. It's like uh, clinically this doesn't match up. Like we need to do some, you know, whatever. And it's like God is like breaking all of that off of me and being like, Brett, I actually work outside of the boundaries of your boxes. Like all of these safety boxes you try to put me in, I don't work in any of them ever. And so it's just so crazy because God wants to use us to do crazy things, but we have to be willing to take crazy risks for the Lord. We have to be willing to get outside of our comfort zones. There's another verse that I want to read to you in Mark. Um, it's Mark 16. And it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. And these signs and miracles will accompany those who believe. You will drive out demons in the power of my name. You will speak in tongues. You will be protected from snakes and from drinking anything that is poisonous to you. You will lay hands on the sick and you will heal them. After saying this to his disciples, Jesus went up into heaven and was exalted at a place of honor at the right side of the the right hand side of the father the apostles went out into the world 
preaching the good news everywhere he went, and miracles and signs and wonders accompanied the, the preaching of the word. And I had this realization one time of like, man, the church sure teaches about the Great Commission, and it teaches about like, but it doesn't teach owners of the world, and we're to preach the gospel, and then there's a period, and that's it. And it's like, but it doesn't teach us that like, um, no, as children of Jesus, as intimate lovers with Jesus, I am called to walk in the exact same authority that he walked in. It's not like an optional thing, like if I'm in the mood and if I feel not scared to do it, it's like you are mandated to go and infect the world with the presence of Jesus. And I am so passionate, you guys, about us taking this place. Like, I remember... I have such a huge heart for missions, and it's like, you think, like, you hear all these miracles from mission trips. Like, how many people have heard mission trip miracles, and it's like, oh my gosh, a crazy thing happened, and there's so much faith, and so therefore, God can do all these crazy miracles. And I remember when I moved to Reading, and I'm in my hospital, and I'm just like, God, are you kidding me? Like, I feel called to missions. I feel called to the world. I feel called to go out and infect the world with Jesus, and I'm stuck in this little podunk hospital in California, and I don't want to be here, and, you know, just complaining, complaining, complaining. And I heard the Lord say to me so clearly, Brittany, you asked me for a mission field and I brought you to your mission field. Now invest into the mission field, now sow into the mission field. And it's like, I believe so much that God is calling every single person. It's like, he's placed us into the the places that we're in, whether you're in business, whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're in medicine, whether you're in the farms, whether you're in the grocery store. It's like, I really don't care whether you're an athlete and you're working. It's like, my brother does all kinds, my brother plays football for ASU. It's like, he sees miracles happen all the time on his football team with his players. And it's like God has strategically placed his kids inside of the market marketplace because we're called to infect the world. And so it's like, if I'm a college student, if I'm a high school student, if I'm a junior high student, it's like we are called to infect the world with not only the word of Jesus, but the signs and wonders of Jesus that people would be like, I need what that person has. And so it's like, I think that you know, sometimes it's like we get so scared to take it into our place of work because it's like, um, what is my boss going to think? I'm on the clock. I'm being paid for this. This isn't really a Christian organization. You know, we make excuses for why we can't do what God has mandated us to do. And it's like, God, you know, I'm, I work in the hospital and it's like, you guys, I cannot tell you how many times I've probably seen the most miracles that I've seen inside of the workplace. And it's like, my thought, my thought process is like, man, in the hospital, I'm with people at their most vulnerable time. They're the most scared. They are the most like, they, I mean, they can't do anything. It's like, you're just there. They don't know what's going on to them really, unless they've looked at WebMD or Google. Don't do those things. <laughs> people come in and are like, did you know that my diagnosis means that, that? And you're like, uh, that's not real at all. That I don't know what that is. So word of wisdom, do not read WebMD. <laughs> just had to throw that little pitch in. <laughs> But anyway, so God started, God started asking me to, to pray over patients in the hospitals. And you guys, because, like, again, like, when you see the Lord show up in little areas, like, one by one at a time, your faith begins to rise. And you begin to, like, just know that you know that you know that you know of, like, God is not going to leave me hanging in this. He is not going to ask me to go do this thing and then be like, I really appreciate you doing that. Now I have to, like, I'm on a lunch break. It's like, that's just not how the Lord works. He does show up every single time. And so I started having all these things in, in the hospital. And I remember I had this one patient one time. She was, um, she was pregnant. She was early on in her pregnancy, probably like 20, 22 weeks. And she had tried to commit suicide. And they had her up in the ICU and intubated and she was unconscious. They had her really heavily sedated. And I remember I get to work that day and the charge nurse is like, hey, we're going to send you to the ICU tonight and you're going to take care of this girl that's a suicide watch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I hate the ICU so bad. I hate going there. It's so uncomfortable. I just think it's like so sad and it's just so sad up there. So I'm like, I just hate going and I'm by myself and I'm kind of a new nurse and I'm just like, oh, this is the worst case scenario. And I get up there, and I sit at my desk next to this girl's room, and I just started asking the Lord, God, what did you bring me here for? Like, why am I with this girl tonight? Like, why can't I be on my floor with my patients? And how many of you know, like, if you ask God what he's doing, he's going to tell you? And it's like, you're not going to be like, God, what are you doing? And you hear crickets. It's like, you're going to be like, God, what's my assignment? And he's going to say, this is your assignment. And so I said, God, what are you doing? And the Lord said, Britt, I need you to take me into her room. And I was like, 
okay? And so I was like, well, what does that look like? And I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to act like she's fully aware and you're going to treat her like she's fully aware and just go into her room. So I'm like, okay. So I walk into her room and I just like laid my hand on her. I'm, I'm very touchy. So I have to like hold my patient's hands like, hi girls. So I was holding her, I was holding her arm and I just said, I just said, hey, my name's Brittany. I'm from Labor and Delivery. I'm going to take care of your baby. And I just want you to know, like, everything's going to be fine. Like, there's nothing to be worried about. I'm going to take really good care of you tonight. Whatever. She doesn't respond to me. She doesn't open her eyes. And I leave the room. And a couple times throughout the night, she'd get really anxious, and she'd try to extubate herself, but she'd, like, try to pull the tube out of her throat. And I... Um, would go into the room and I would just lay my hand on her and I'd just be like, peace, peace, peace. Like I would never talk about Jesus, never preach Jesus, but I would just walk in and just be like, peace, it's okay, it's fine. And I left my shift that night, nothing profound happened. And I come back a few months later and I'm in labor and delivery now and I walk into this girl's room and this patient that was in the ICU is now full term. And I walk into her room and I'm like, hey, my name's Brittany. I'm going to be your nurse tonight. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And she just has tears streaming down her face. And she goes, you took care of me when I was in the ICU. And I was, like, so confused because this girl looked nothing like she looked in the ICU. Like, she looked really bad when we had her in the ICU. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, I did. And she goes, yes, I was the girl that tried to kill herself. And I said, oh my gosh, I remember you. And I'm like, how are you? She's like, I'm good. And I'm like, how did you know that I was the one that took care of you? Like you weren't even awake. And she says, because that night I remember feeling so anxious. And she said, and there was the one nurse that took care of me and they, you walked into my room. And she said, and I felt this peace come into my room and I saw this light walk into my room. And I knew that like an angel had walked into my room. And I'm thinking, this girl is like unconscious. Like, how does she know? And she goes, and when you just walked into my room, I felt the exact same thing that I felt three months ago when I was in the ICU. And it just like, you guys, it had this most profound impact on me of like, we get to be carriers of the presence of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Like we get to walk into these secular places. I don't even have to do anything. I don't even have to say anything. I don't even have to preach to him all in. I get to walk in and because I am like, Jesus has possessed my, like he, I let him all in. It's like, I literally get to walk him into places that with people that would never, ever, ever step foot inside of a church. I get to like walk the church to them. I get to walk Jesus to them. Like how crazy. And that's what God wants to do with every single one of of you in every one of your spheres of influence. It's like he wants you to walk him into the churches and he's looking for people that will just say yes to him that will say, yes, I'll let you walk through me. Yes, I'll let you touch through me. Yes, I'll let you speak through me. And so it's just like, I, I'm just like so passionate about us like coming into this because how fun to like do this with Jesus. Like you get a partner with Jesus and see these crazy things just because, literally just because you said yes to him. And so I'll, I'll tell you one more story. I had um, a patient one time that, long story short, I got called in on a shift. I was not supposed to be working. They called me in on this shift, and I go in, and the girl's preterm labor. She's, like, really, really, really early on to where the baby's not really viable if it comes out. And they think she's in labor. We find out she is in labor. We sp I spend, like, an hour with her trying to stop her contractions, stop her labor, we finally get everything okay. And she's like, hey, can I just go to the bathroom really fast before you leave my room? And I'm like, yeah. So I get her up, go to the bathroom. She's sitting on the toilet, and it literally sounds like somebody's, like, pouring, like, a gallon jug into the toilet. You just hear, like, gu like gushing. And I hear her say to me, is this normal to, like, bleed this much? And I was like, I'm like, oh, I should investigate. So I go in there, and this girl is, like, hemorrhaging over the toilet, still pregnant. And she is having what we call a placenta abruption, which is, like, where the placenta pulls away from the uterus. It basically cuts off oxygen supply, blood flow, everything to the baby. And it is, like, a 911, you need a C-section right now. There's no way out of it. We have to get the baby out, or mom and baby will both die. And so... 
I'm standing there and I'm like, get in the bed. I run and get help. I come back and I just look at this girl. And, you know, any of you who are medical, like you're taught, we are taught, you do not tell a patient everything's going to be okay because if it's not okay, you're in really big trouble because you're the voice of authority that just said everything's going to be okay. But here I've been on this long journey where the Lord is like, no, your words do carry authority. Your words do switch things. Your words do shift the atmosphere. So I'm like, well, I can either partner with what my hospital tells me or I can do what Jesus Jesus tells me, which is speak against this. And so I put my hand on this girl and I said, look at me. And she looks at me and I said, everything is fine. You're going to be fine. Your baby's going to be fine. I said, I'm not going to lie to you. This is really dangerous. Your baby technically could die from this, but you're going to be fine. I just want you to trust me and everything's going to be fine. And she's like, okay. And she fully trusts me. And the doctor gets there and the doctor says, oh my gosh, we got to go now. We like go running back to the OR. We do a crash C-section. And as we're on the way back there, I just kept praying over her. And I just kept saying, in Jesus' name, this baby is fine. In Jesus' name, you're going to come out. You're going to breathe. And I'm saying this out loud because in crisis, I really don't care. I'm like, if I get written up, I get written up. But I need Jesus here right now. So I'm like, in Jesus' name, this is going to be fine. In Jesus' name, you're going to be fine. I, I just plead the blood of Jesus over this whole thing. I speak peace over you. I speak peace over this OR. I speak protection over this doctor that she would have wisdom, know what to do. And awesome thing, my doctor is a believer also. And she's like, yes, in Jesus' name, what she said, do what she said, God. So that's always fun when you've got, when you've got a partner in crime. But her husband's not in, in a crisis like that. The husband cannot come back with us because bad things can happen. And so I looked back at the husband and he's like this big man. And I grabbed his hand and I said, Hey, I just want you to know everything's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of your wife. Everything's going to be okay. And we go back to the OR. We do a crash C-section. The baby comes out and is like acting. It's literally like 22 weeks, which means it should not be breathing good at all. It should end up in the, in the ICU for forever. And, um, and we send this baby, or the baby comes out, and the baby's breathing like a full-term infant, and it's acting like a full-term infant, and the NICU team is like, how old is this baby? This is so crazy. This baby is literally acting like a full-term baby, and everything was like totally fine with this, with this baby, and the mom's fine. The baby's fine, and we get, we get back to the recovery room, and we find out that the mom had lost like four liters of blood before the surgery, which is, in, I mean, that is like an insane amount of blood, and mom's levels like never fluctuated. They never did anything. And the Lord just again reminded me of like, Britt, when you speak things, like I shift things that should be really terrible and should end really terrible, won't end really terrible when we just step into the authority that God has given us. So I just feel like in closing, it's like, you know, I think of, I think of you know, Esther in the Bible and how she was a woman of a lot of courage and she looked fear in its face and she did, she did the hard thing and the scary thing anyway, because she knew her assignment. And it's like, I think tonight the Lord is like revealing our assignments to us of like, we're just meant to walk in authority of whatever that looks like. It doesn't have to look like any specific thing. It just looks like, what does authority look like in your life? What does it look like to take authority over the circumstances that God has put in your life? And um, is Jordan out here again? Where's Jordan? Jordan! He's learning! He's learning! <laughs> Jordan. I know. But I just feel like tonight, it's like I want you guys to stand up. I'm going to read a charge over you, a commissioning charge, because I feel like the Lord is commissioning us tonight. And he's commissioning us out of complacency and out of compromising and out of saying, oh, it's okay. The next person will do it. That's not my assignment. That's way too scary. I'm going to let, you know, that person or that person do it. It's like I want to encourage all of us, whatever it looks like for you, to step out and to take a risk, to look fear in its face and just do it anyway because you guys, your biggest breakthroughs, the world's biggest breakthroughs are on the other side of you looking fear in its face and saying, I'm gonna be terrified and I'm gonna be scared and I'm gonna do it anyway. So it's like, feel the fear, do it anyway. Let's get over our, our feelings of like, oh wow, I'm so scared of what people think of me. Let's stop caring so much about what the world thinks about us and let's just care about what Jesus thinks about us and what he's called us to do. So I wanna read this charge over you. You can close your eyes as I, as I read this and just receive all of these words. Today, I want to charge you with this. 
today the Father is calling out His sons and daughters. He is saying to you that now is your time to rise up, to rise up like never before and take your rightful place. It is time to step out of complacency into a place of great authority. Today is the day, now is the time to lock eyes with Jesus and never look back. There is no more room for comparison, compromise, complacency, or complaining. You have been called to be a leader in this generation. You were created to be a change agent to radically impact every sphere you walk into. You have been chosen for such a time as this to be a co-heir with Christ, to bring heaven to earth. The world needs what you carry and they are waiting for you to rise up. As a part of this generation, I stand with you today and I challenge us to rise up and be the generation known for being radically in love with our Father. May we be set apart in every way. Let us be the ones who loved wholeheartedly, the ones who looked fear in the face and ran after it willingly anyway, willing to risk everything for the one that we loved above all else. May we be the people who care less about our reputations and more about how we are representing to the world we live in. Let us be the people who are not looking for the approval from this world because the only applause we need comes from eternity. Let us be the generation more concerned with our character than caring about what people think about us. So set apart in every way that we shift culture everywhere we go. Let us make Jesus attractive. Let's give Jesus, let's give the world a face-to-face encounter with our Father. May every part of our lives be lived through courage. May we lend our strength to each other and call each other higher. Let's be the people who dared to believe Jesus at his word and clung tight to his promises, even in the face of opposition, willing to risk everything to see heaven invade earth. May we be people who are willing to trade our comfort zones for this great commission, knowing that nothing great will happen inside the safety of your comfort zone. May we be people who don't have to glare at computer screens or to the people around us because we are too occupied staring at the Father's face. Let us be the ones able to say no to the mundane because we know that we have been chosen. People who don't care to compete. The people who boldly will call out sin for the sake of his right of Jesus. Today, may you walk away knowing that the same authority that lives inside of Jesus lives inside of you. Today, we rise up corporately, standing in the gap for our generation. The world is waiting for me. It's waiting for you to take your rightful place. The kingdom didn't change and the captives were not set free until Esther took her place and she claimed her authority, until she looked fear in its face and rose up courageously anyway. Now is the time for you to rise up, to claim your authority for the sake of our world. It is time for you to walk in the fullness of who Jesus has created you to be. I believe that we are being commissioned today for such a time as this, as powerful carriers of his presence. Today I speak to you as a leader of our generation and I say to you, now is the time. He is calling you by name to rise up and claim your authority in him. Are you ready to follow him and run after him with everything you have? It is time to say yes to his call on your life, knowing that the power within you is not small and the strength of all of heaven is on your side. That wherever you go, you will operate in his strength, in his authority to bring heaven to earth and death back to life. The greatest lie the enemy wants you to believe is that the gospel is not urgent and her authority starts right now is not necessary. But I am here to declare to you today that your authority starts right now because the time is now. We have been anointed and appointed for such a time as this. Today is your commissioning to go into all of the world and invade it with the message and the power of Jesus. Expect his signs and wonders and miracles to follow you everywhere you go. All he needs is your yes. Today is the day. Now is the time. So go.
So we're just going to open up the front. If you, if any part of that message resonated with you, if you're like, man, I want to walk in greater authority. Man, I want to stop being so afraid. Man, I want to stop having fear of man. I want to have more courage. I want to go deeper with the Lord. If any part of that message spoke to you at all, I want you to come forward and we're going to have a prayer team that's up here that will just go around and pray over people. I'll be up here to pray for people. Um, But we just are, yeah, we just want to see I want to see that our the church rise up and be fully the church that we were called to be, fully be the church that Jesus paid for. And so come forward if you guys want prayer for anything. Thank you.